Welcome back into Sports Talk, the 6 o'clock hour here on WWL, giving you an update on the uh, Raging Cajuns game against Vanderbilt as we're waiting for that to end because an hour after that is when LSU baseball get going. Headed to the eighth inning, it is now Vanderbilt up 6-3 to three over the Cajuns. Uh, they just got a three-run home run to not up the three th- – to- untie the things that were uh, at 3-3 in the sixth inning. I uh, also wanted to bring up uh, Charlie seeing on Twitter right now. Uh, we talked about the Saints' upcoming release of Marcus May being reported. Well, a fan on Twitter said, hey, if Marshawn's back, do we try Alante Taylor at safety since May's going to be released by the Saints? Alante Taylor actually responded to the fan, and he simply just said, nah. There you go. <laughs> there you go right there. It's like, I'm going to stick a corner and hopefully – Outside corner. Outside corner because, right. yeah, I feel that whole experiment at the slot did not work. Alante didn't look all comfortable the entire season. And, uh, there were some bright spots. Obviously, we, we finally got his first pick of the year, uh, first pick of his NFL career uh, last year. But um, o- overall, I think he's better suited for outside, and I just don't know – how you do that, obviously, with the Pulse and Adebo and Marshawn Lattimore still on the team. Yeah, it was worth an experiment. It didn't really work out. But, yeah, I think he's definitely better suited outside, as you're saying. Steve, tonight, obviously, we talked about LSU-Texas, the matchup, top 15 matchup in college baseball. There haven't actually been that many of them so far this year. Like, right. I know last weekend, Arkansas-Oregon State was fantastic. And I think, you know, they also played Oklahoma State, which was, I think, a top 20 matchup. But a top 15 matchup between LSU and Texas – Two storied programs. I want to give a shout-out uh, to Kyle Umlang, who put this out in, on Twitter, and you retweeted it. I thought it was awesome. Texas and LSU combined have 6,423 wins as baseball programs, 13 national championships, 20 national championship appearances, 57 College World Series appearances, 97 conference championships, 448 MLB draft picks, and 32 first-round draft picks between those two storied programs. Uh, that's something that we didn't really talk with Koki much about, but that's something worth mentioning is that if you're looking at the best programs in the history of college baseball, Texas and uh, Texas and LSU are definitely near their top. Uh, and still running the Texas Longhorns right now, David Pierce, former Tulane Green Wave coach. He's great. He's outstanding. He's been doing a great job with the Longhorns. Yeah, unfortunately could not keep him here. Yeah, well, you know. Move on to bigger things, I guess. Uh, we're t- talking a lot about the Pelicans, who have a 7 o'clock tip-off against the Indiana Pacers in the Smoothie King Center. A little bit of a payback game after that loss in Indiana. Hopefully Wednesday, the Pels able to pay him back. Good news is Jose Alvarado back in the lineup after serving his three-game suspension. Uh, the media got a chance to talk to him at today's Pels practice. Uh, leading off, definitely asked about the situation of getting that into that fight and uh, serving that three-game suspension after getting into a little ruckus with the Miami Heat. Here it is. It was just a uh, heated of a moment game. And um, like I said, uh, we was just competing. And like I said, it, it's just something that was in the moment. And um, they handled it how they they, they handled it. And then... Um, you know, we just gotta roll with that and then just move forward. How ready are you to get back and play? I mean, I'm excited. You know, I think I just tell everybody like I can't wait to just get my core name to get subbed in and um, you know, go go do what Jose doing, just get um, get bring that energy. Um, like I said, it's been three games, but it felt like a while, so I'm just glad to be back. What are some of the things that you you think you can bring, or things that you, you guys want to emphasize coming off playing the same team two days ago? I mean, it's just about energy, um, ball handling. Like you know, CJ was out when, obviously when I got suspended, so it was a little difficult with that. But um, 
Uh, they got a, another guard that's pretty uh, similar, you know, bring the same thing to the game, I think, similar to what it is. So I'm excited to go against that. And uh, I just, you know, bring, you know, that's that energy and uh, pace to the team that, you know, that needs it. Is there any benefit playing a team this close together just two days apart? I mean, yeah, because, um, you know the scheme is all about playing hard. Who wants some more at this point? So uh, we know what they're going to do. They know what we're going to do. So we just got to uh, play harder and, you know, get the win at the end of the day. This year, this year uh, Brandon, I think, has played it all, but six of the games, Zion's played in all but 11. How much of those guys' availability this season has been a part of the Pelican's success? I mean, that's what we kept saying from the beginning of the year. We got those guys. We, we'll be in a situation we want. So, um, you know, I'm happy. I'm grateful to, um, to them to be he um, healthy and playing at the time we're playing. And you know, we need to rack wins, like you said. You see the schedule; uh, it's pretty, it's pretty tight in the West. So uh, we need to uh, continue winning games so we could not be in a playing game. We definitely could have used that spark that Jose Alvarado provides last game. Interested to see uh, how he does in his return to the lineup this evening. He's not lying about the West, by the way, Steve. I mean, I mentioned in the Sports Flash, and it's the same as it was when I mentioned it two hours ago. If you're looking at the Western Conference standings right now, <laughs> the Pelicans are the sixth seed. They're a half a game back of the Suns, and they're a half a game ahead of the seventh seed of Mavericks. And that's, if you follow the seventh seed, you're in the playing tournament. Now, if you look a little bit deeper into it, they're three and a half games behind the Clippers for the four spot, which would give you a home court advantage in the first round. They're only three games ahead of the 10 seeded Warriors. Oof. That's how tight it is. So you the wild, wild west. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it with Ali in just a little bit here, and I want to get his thoughts on the the March schedule because I think it is pretty interesting. There are a couple lulls in the March schedule where the Pelicans should be able to take advantage of you know lesser teams, but then you end out <laughs> the, the March schedule with just a brutal slate of back to back to back games against the Thunder, the Celtics, and the Bucks, which they did back in January, and they lost all three of those games. So. I think getting off to a fast start in March is so crucial because you do play some, you know, games against teams, winnable opponents, I would say. Now, there are there are some teams thrown in there like the 76ers that are decent and then the Cavaliers who have been really, really good uh, this year that you'll have to overcome. But most of those teams, especially against the Eastern Conference opponents, I think are definitely winnable games for the Pels. They just need to get off to a good start because if they start off, you know, this first 11-game stretch and they're 7-4, and four, let's say, maybe even, you know, eight and three or something like that if they get off to a great start then that gives them a little bit of space for those final three games of the month that are going to be so tough can you think of a run in the past years where the Pels have played so many eastern conference teams in a row can you be the last time a western conference opponent uh, the Pels faced was right after the all-star break taking on houston yeah it's nine straight nine straight games against <sighs> eastern conference teams and that's continuing i mean after the pacers they play the raptors then the 76ers the hawks uh, the cavaliers and then the clippers so there are some winnable games in there. There are some tough opponents like the Cavs and the Clippers. Past that, you got the Trailblazers, the Nets, the Magic. I'd say all those are basically winnable. The Heat is going to be a very saucy rematch given what happened the last time around. And then the Pistons. You get the Pistons right before that really tough three-game stretch. So, once again, 7-4, and 8-3 and three or something like that in those first 11 games before you get to those final three, once again, at home against the Thunder, at home against the Bucks, at home against the Celtics. That's going to be as big as it gets. Brutal, yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're going to check in with our man Ali Cosell for the vibe at the Smoothie King Center tonight. Upcoming 7 p.m. tip-off. We'll be right back after this on WWL. Welcome back into Sports Talk. Doing a quick check on the Vanderbilt-UL Lafayette game. We got Vandy up 7-3, to three, bottom of the eighth inning. Uh, man on first. 
uh, for Vandy. We'll keep updates there as the LSU baseball game will start one hour after that. Now fell we're... apart. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. I had, to, I had to bring up the score, unfortunately. No, I know. Uh, now checking in with our man Ali Cosell, who is at the Smoothie King Center for tonight's 7 p.m. tip-off against the Pacers. Good to be back home for this Pell squad after a tough two-game road stint. Yeah, it absolutely is, guys. And look, it's time to get back in the win column, yes. right? I mean, start two and three after the All-Star break. It should have been better than that. Having Jose Alvarado back should be at least a good spark for this club that could use it right now, huh, Ali? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I feel like if they had Jose Alvarado maybe against the Pacers a couple of nights ago, or even in that Chicago game, I think they might have won because the Pelicans were in it right at, at the close of it. They didn't play great basketball throughout most of these losses, but they, they were in all these games. They could have won them, but that's three straight clutch time losses again uh, to end of February. So, yeah, when you've got a guy that brings momentum and energy like Jose, especially when you're ready without Dyson and you've got other guys laboring a little bit, right? B.I., C.J. coming off of uh, sprained ankles and such. Jose would have been a big breath of fresh air, I think, for the team. But, hey, he's back tonight. It would have been understandable, I guess you would say, Ali, for the Pelicans just to kind of lay over, given the circumstances against the Pacers on the road back-to-back and how they didn't get in until 6 o'clock in the morning. Then they had to play a game at 7.30 that night. But they really did fight. And, I mean, you got to give them credit for that. They didn't win. But, I mean, when you look at the game, Pascal Siakam was a big highlight for the Pacers. But – who really stood out to me, especially late, was once the Pelicans, every time they made a push to get within one possession, they would get to around five points, and then they couldn't get it to one possession. And then they finally did get there. Uh, and every single time the Pacers would stretch out the lead, they got within three, and then Tyrese Halliburton just took over late with a big three and then back-to-back beautiful assists that ended up stretching basically a 7 to nothing run by himself in the final couple minutes, and then the Pacers going to win that game. How important is it tonight to slow down not only Siakam, who had a really good game against the Pelicans the first time around, but also get Halliburton, prevent him from getting those crazy runs that he can go on. Yeah, look, absolutely. Halliburton's one of the best engines in the game today, right? I mean, he's got to be in the top five of everybody's, uh, on everybody's list of playmakers. I mean, next to Luca, maybe Shea Gildas Alexander and like one or two others, Tyrese Halliburton's got to be the next name uh, rolling off a tongue. So, yeah, he's fantastic. And he is definitely, like I said, the engine of one of the fastest paced uh, teams in the NBA. And so you've got you've to corral him, do as best of a job as you can anyways in, in limiting what he does. And, of course, that's limiting his creation ability. Because you can live with him shooting some shots, and, yeah, he, he's a fantastic three-point shooter. But I think what hurts more, of course, is when he's creating for everybody else. So, yeah, you've got to stay in front of him, number one. But, number two, you've got to offer that help. And I think with the Pelicans, what they kind of didn't do as good of a job as I think they should have is actually executing on the offensive end to where they would have put, say, Pascal Siakam. You know how fresh he was to close out that game against Zion, made a couple big baskets down the stretch. I'd like to have the Pelicans take advantage of him early. For instance, in the matchup, Jonas Valanciunas was being guarded by him, maybe go to the post. You can all of a sudden maybe tilt the game against, you know, the way Siakam finished right there in the, in the opening minutes. And same thing you've got to do with Halliburton. You've got to make him guard, too. And I feel like they just didn't really do that good of a job on making the Pacers work defensively. You know, we all we all know what Indiana wants to do. They basically want to get to 120, probably 130 points every game, and they just think they're going to outscore you. They're going to try and just limit an opponent's three-point shots and just play with that effort, right? So multiple shots per possession, crash the glass. But other than that, yeah, they don't really want to work too hard. Their stars, especially defensively, and that's what you've got to do. So that's what I'm going to be looking at. How will the Pelicans start offensively in this game? Will they try and go at these guys? Because they need to.
you're on the money, Ali. And with Tyrese Halliburton, he's leading the league in assists per game right now with 11.6. And the next closest guy is Trey Young at 10.8. So he's almost a full assist better than Trey. And just like the offense that you're talking about with this Pacers squad, it's number two as far as offensive rating in the NBA, only behind the Boston Celtics. For the best team in the Eastern Conference, probably the best team in the NBA. So you're, But the one thing about this Pacers team is like you were saying, yes, they have a great offense. Their defensive rating is like the opposite side of the spectrum. They're 26 uh-huh. out of 30 teams in the in the NBA in defensive rating. So how do you expect the Pelicans to kind of attack that uh, that porous defense tonight uh, to get kind of keep up with that Pacers offense? Yeah, first of all, like I was just saying, you've got to find them hunt those mismatches, right? So if if, if Rick Carlisle wants to stick Siakam on Valanciunas uh, because they'd rather have Miles Turner, which is smart on Zion, you've got to abuse that matchup. And then, like I said, same thing with all those other guards. And, and they're kind of smaller, right? They don't have the big wings like the Herb Joneses, the B.I.s. Because Benedict Matherum, he, he's about, what, six foot five. We already know Tyrese Halliburton He's about six foot three, but he doesn't even have that, you know, strong build. So, like I said, you've got to go at them and attack them because they don't want to play physical. They just want to run past you. So that's what, like I said, that's what I'm going to be watching mostly. But Pelicans also have to get back to, you know, they've been turning it over a lot. That's the thing that stuck out to me over these last, uh, five games where they went two and three. They've either given up too many offensive rebounds, which it did in Indiana, right? Smaller team ended up with 14 offensive rebounds. That shouldn't happen. But they've also had key turnovers, like against the Chicago's. There was just one too many. So they've got to go, almost get back to the basics. And honestly, guys, I think we'll see that. Because as we mentioned earlier, five games and seven nights is no joke. I know there was a lot of tired legs uh, in that game. And we even saw Herb Jones two nights ago. I saw him have no energy in chasing Tyrese around almost for that entire fourth quarter. So I think they'll have that energy back, and then we'll see them play. go back to playing that brand of basketball we've largely seen over these last three months. Ali, you just mentioned uh, you know, early in that comment uh, about Jonas Valanciunas. Man, he only had seven minutes last game. Just curious of uh, the reasoning behind that, and can we expect, obviously, more from him tonight? Yeah, so there's been times where Willie has wanted to go smaller, especially when uh, things didn't go that well for the offense in the first half. And that's usually led to Larry Nance starting out of halftime, and then they stay small. And that's what we saw. And like I said, I wasn't a fan of that because all of a sudden the rebounding lost its edge. And I right. thought you left points out there on, uh, that were easy points because JV wasn't in the game when we know he's a, one of the most skilled centers around, one of those traditional bigs. And Indiana doesn't have that size. So, for whatever re- reason, I think we're, we can expect Willie's going to probably play JV more because going away from him obviously didn't two nights ago. And I do know one other thing. I know they twisted his ankle a little bit in, New York, in that game against the New York Knicks. So I think that probably also has something to do with playing more mi- limited minutes for JV against the Pacers because when he's not 100%, he really can be slow out there, right? And when it's a fast-paced game, he's kind of got to be operating at 100%. But I think he'll be much better tonight. So I think, like I said, we'll probably see him play about 20, 22 minutes. Yeah, I mean, you saw the Pacers have three players with double doubles. I mean, with Siakam, Turner, and and I mean, with uh, Halliburton, obviously with the assists. So I would like to see Jonas kind of get in that double double category as well and gets kind of yeah. help with the rebounding. Because as you said, Ali, it was an issue late in that game when when the Pacers would be missing a three, they would get an offensive board. And as you said, they're not a huge team, uh, but at times, I mean, I guess that's you can attribute that a little bit to tired legs, but you just can't get outworked by a team like the Pacers. I know they're a solid team. They're I think currently the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they're not they're not a joke. I'm not trying to say that by any means. But if you're the uh-huh. Pelicans at home in your home court after you go two and three in that five game stretch, you need a win to keep pace and stay out of the playing tournament. You got to show the effort tonight. 
And I think they will, because what, the vibe we've gotten, uh, especially from the stars like Zion, CJ, and BI, is the fact that they're all getting excited because they can feel the playoffs. So every game is taking on more meaning. And I think we've seen it in just the numbers. If you look, and I was looking at all sorts of numbers earlier today, you can see that the steals and blocks are both up for Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson for the month of February. So that means to me that, and you can see with the eyes too, right? I saw against Indiana, Zion's flying around trying to block shots that he didn't get to, but we saw him doing that a lot. That's where just a month or even two ago, you weren't seeing that. So I know the effort is there, but that's why I go back to, yeah, it was that kind of obscure part of the schedule. These guys obviously didn't have the legs to play the way they typically have them playing. So it was an aberration. I fully expect them to get back to basically outworking the opponent. That's a big key for them. And we're going to see it tonight. I, I really believe that. Man, w- one of the things, Ali, when I'm looking at, you know, online, on the social media, or anything the Pelicans put out, I was rubbing my eyes and I had to double check. When is the last time that you can remember seeing a Pelicans injury report with no <laughs> names on it? Pretty amazing. That's fantastic news, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the whole questionable stuff, which we knew that Zion was largely going to play most of the games that he was listed as questionable still. It puts that doubt in your mind, right? And then we know in the past years when Brandon Ingram was on the report with largely any kind of status, right, even probable, there was a good chance he wasn't playing. So you're right. Everybody means That means everybody's probably feeling as good as you can, right, 60 or 60-some games into the season. And that's great because Pelicans, look at this Western Conference race, guys. It's going to be a neck-and-neck battle for five and six. So all those guys. Basically, everybody outside of Dyson Daniels, everybody being almost as healthy as they can. You've got to win as many as you can. It's a good sign. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the Western Conference being the wild, wild west again. Uh, just, you know, very uh, – every game is crucial right now, obviously, to for playoff positioning. Uh, the Pels, it seems like you can be the f- from five to, you know, suddenly seven and in the play-in game any given moment. Yeah, and you want to avoid the plan, right? Absolutely. Less than last year. Falcons had success two years ago, but then, yeah, last year it was a major disappointment losing OKC when you had much more aspirations for a team that even though they finished 42-40, and 40, you just felt like they were a better team than the previous year. But either way, like I said, everybody knows the playing game such a gamble, so you want to avoid it at all costs. And they're in posi- position to do it. They just have to win the games that they should win, right? You didn't do it these last five games, and there were some reasons behind it. But moving forward, now that you are healthy – you can't have those excuses. That starts tonight, right? Beats a team that is kind of similar in record, but you should be better than here, especially in front of your home crowd. And then that sets you up for this upcoming three-game uh, road trip. You get to play Toronto, which has really fallen off the map, right, since they've basically dismembered their team with trade. And then you've got two teams that are hurting and falling down in the standings, right? Philadelphia, they won't have Joel Embiid. Atlanta Hawks, no Trey Young. So this could potentially be a four-game win streak, which I think they got to get. Guys, I know you've looked at the rest of the schedule yes. after that. It gets much tougher. That's what I was going to ask you about, Ali. Looking at the March schedule, 14 games, and you kind of previewed the first four games, and I agree with you. And another kind of underrated part, if you get this game, there's a huge gap between your next game against the Raptors. It's a four-day break. Your next game's on Tuesday. And then the game after that is on Friday. So I, tired legs should not be an issue in this stretch, this four-game stretch against you know, the Pacers, the Raptors, the 76ers, and the Hawks. And then, as you kind of mentioned, you face the Cavaliers, you face the Clippers. Those are two of the elite teams in the NBA. But then you go back to kind of winnable games. Once again, you have the Trailblazers, the Nets, mm-hmm. and the Magic back-to-back-to-back to back to back before that heat matchup in Miami, the rematch that everyone's going to be really looking forward to after what happened just this past weekend. And then you have the Pistons, right? So 
you're looking at that stretch, and then the final three games, the Thunder, the Bucks, and the Celtics all at home. It's the same exact three-game stretch <laughs> that they had at the end mm-hmm. of January that we had talked about that. I remember that, Ali. But I was talking yep. about this in the first segment with Steve. If you're the Pelicans, you're looking at a lot of these games as being winnable. you got to win the winnable games. If you go 8-3 and three or 7-4 and four in the first 11 games, that gives you a little bit of breathing room before you have that three-game gauntlet to end the month. Exactly. And that's what exactly what you need to do, right? Because even though I think the Pelicans are, if I'm not mistaken, 18-16 and 16 against teams with records above 500, which is one of the better ones right, right around, that still means that if it's one of the better ones and yet it's at 500, well, that probably gives you a good idea of what you can expect and what the Pels will do this time around to finish out the season against those type of teams. So, yeah, you've got to stack those wins against the other teams, right, the, the, the lesser teams. And it starts, yeah, it starts tonight. And, by the way, with that break coming up, I'm a huge fan of it, not only for their legs to get back to fully 100%, but I feel like this team just – this is going to be the last push to where you're going to get the practice time, to where you've got to figure out some things offensively. So, for instance, when I mentioned last game, they didn't go to JV enough. That's where the coaching staff needs to drill in the players as well as just making sure they execute. Take advantage of those mismatches. And more importantly, they still haven't figured out how to close out games. So I'm hoping they'll go through all those type of uh, scenarios over these next, what, seven to ten days where they're only going to play like two or three times to figure that out because it's going to be vital, right? There are going to be a lot of close games you can expect down the stretch, and they haven't been good in those minutes, but they've got to become good. Because we know in the playoffs, almost every game goes down to the wire. Obviously, uh, Ali, you're talking about the schedule, and I'm just curious. I was talking to Charlie about this before we got to you. Can you recall a stretch of these consecutive Eastern Conference opponents that the Pels have had to play? No, not like this. No, it's definitely stacked. Kind Nine of, straight. You know, in the past, we'd be happy uh, because <laughs> uh, the Eastern Conference is usually the lame duck. But I'm saying what, they're a little bit tougher. Now the Pelicans are a little banged up. I would have liked to have seen the schedule probably a month or two ago. But either way, yeah, it's beyond rare, right? Yeah, usually there's a better balance. Not this year. Yeah, and another guy that we've talked about multiple times, Ali, and you saw the glimpse of it, right? We've been waiting for him to break out, and he had his sort of breakout against the Knicks in the fourth quarter, and that was Trey Murphy. And then uh-huh. afterwards you saw Willie go up to him. It's a great coaching moment. It was just like, welcome back, right? Like, <laughs> it, it, I know that Trey loved to hear that. but And then his performance against Indiana – was kind of a little bit more of what we've been seeing from him most of this year, where he goes two of eight from three, only puts up 11 points the night after putting up 26, where he hit six threes. I think that it's going to be really important in this four-game stretch where there like, are breaks so where you're not going to have tired legs, uh, like we mentioned, yeah. in that first game against the Pacers, for Trey to keep building that confidence that he saw in that first game against the Knicks. Yeah, for him, for the Pelicans to be their most effective, he's almost like an X-factor to me. Right. And we learned this last year. Right, If he shoots just eight threes, not make them, just shoot eight threes, the Pelicans are winners. Last year, they went 20-5 and five when he just shot eight times from deep. Uh, and then this year, I want to say they're 13-4. and four. So I don't care if it's going in or not. It's, just, it's better for the offense that he's at least attempting those shots. And just growing that confidence, of course, you need some to go in. That, that's the most vital thing. I think one of the most vital things coming down stretch. Besides figuring out clutch minutes, I think it's getting Trey, right, regularly into that 20 20- 16 to 20 point per night type of scoring range. So that's what he's offering the most, right? That's his best asset for the Pelicans. I will say, though, that it was kind of nice to see a couple of nights ago, what did he get, 10 rebounds? That tied a career high. And in that game against the Pacers, he had seven assists. That was a new career high. So he slowly began to kind of show more parts to his game. 
And we've seen it even defensively, right? He had three blocks, I want to say about two and a half weeks. He's had more blocks than steals of late. So all around his game's improving, but still, yeah, it's the shooting, guys. Steve, um, you've got to see it. You've got to hope that the Pelicans feed him enough because I think that just makes them a better team. And then looking at the Western Conference standings, Ollie, we were also talking about this a little bit earlier. With the Pelicans, where they're at right now, this is spot, we actually got a text that someone had messaged in and said, hey, guys, I know it would be great for the Pelicans to be the four, but how bad or good would it be for them to be the five or the six and avoid the play-in series? And if they don't host, who could be the opponent? Thanks. So what you heard from Jose Alvarado in our first little clip that we played, it was like a minute long where he was talking about, yeah, we're trying our best to avoid this play-in mm-hmm. tournament. Because if you're looking at the play-in standings right now, you see the Mavericks, you see Luka Doncic, you see the Kings and, and De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. You see the Lakers and AD and LeBron and how well they've been playing recently. And you see the Warriors. And, I mean, you just want to avoid that at all costs. The good news is you're currently at the sixth spot. So if you keep winning and you go on this four-game winning streak, you set yourself up in good position because you're only a half game back of the Suns. But at the same time, you're only a half game ahead of the playing tournament and the Mavericks at the seventh seed. And I think it's fun to mention that, you know, they're further away from the four seed than they are from the ten. Like, they're yeah. three and a half games back of the Clippers at the four spot who are, you know, hosting a first-round series as of now than they are from the Warriors in the 10 spot in the playing tournament. They're only three games ahead. So, I mean, this this upcoming stretch, the four-game stretch that you kind of highlighted, Ali, it's so, so important mm-hmm. for them to get off to a good start this month because, as we predicted, you know, they have some really tough games later on in the month. And it all has to start tonight against a Pacers team that you want to get re- uh, revenge against. Yeah, and what it's going to come down to is let's see a good first quarter, right? I mean – what was it? I, I want to say three of these last five games, they had terrible first quarters. They had to fight back against the Heat. I remember the Heat were up 19 before the Pels had a good close of that first half. Went down and 20 course, against the Pacers the first time around. Against the Pacers. Right. And so they, you can't do that. When one of your strengths is actually being a good first quarter team, well, you definitely can't have a bad first 12 minutes. So, yeah, that has to start tonight. I, I couldn't agree more. But like I said, I'm fully expecting for them to resemble the way they have played largely for this year tonight because legs will be more rested they've had um you know good nights rest in their own bed and they know what's at stake so i'm not worried about the termination i'm so worried about them having the energy and that shouldn't be a problem tonight thank you for the time as always ollie one hard-hitting question before you go the pelicans wearing those city edition uniforms tonight you know what i didn't even check i haven't seen them out there, but i want to say yes i heard somebody talking about it. i want to say yes Okay, always, like I said, appreciate your time, my man, and uh, hopefully enjoy the game. We come away with the victory. Absolutely, guys. We need to get some wins before I talk to you guys next. (laughs) Amen to that. Thank you, Ollie. Credentialed NBA writer covering the Pelicans, Ollie Cosell at the Smoothie King Center for that 7 p.m. tip-off coming up. Uh, We're still waiting on the Vanderbilt-Louisiana Raging Cajuns game to end. It's the top of the ninth. Nobody out, man, on first and second for the Cajuns. We'll keep you updated right here on WWL. Taking a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back into Sports Talk. Just saw that the LSU Gymnastics team ranked number two in the nation, Able to take down number nine, Alabama. Uh, Tigers had a tough loss at Florida last Friday. Able to bounce back and get a win over another tough ranked SEC opponent. Go LSU Gymnastics. The top of the ninth inning still for Vanderbilt, Louisiana. Lavia Raging Cajuns. It is seven to three. Cajuns have man on first and second, though, with one out. We'll keep you updated as uh, we've been saying the LSU game versus Texas cannot start until one hour after this matchup ends. So uh, we'll be keeping you updated there. Uh, 
Charlie, what did you think about the uh, you know uh, Pelicans? I know you've been ch- uh, checking out right now. They're in uh, City Edition uniforms tonight, and uh, the record hasn't been too fantastic. I don't know if you've been able to compile much stats on that at the moment. Yeah, we got a text from a listener. What is the Pelicans' record in the City Edition uniforms? Isn't it awful? And it is. And I'm looking back because there's no like site that just tells you what their record in a certain you know uh, <laughs> right, uniform is. So I'm looking back at like highlights. There's an stuff. idea for a website. It, they only <laughs> wear them at home. That's that's the one thing. So like I'm looking back at the home games. So okay. far they're like three and seven in these city edition uniforms Oof. so far. And I'm only back in December, so like there's still a little ways to go. Uh, but yes, they aren't very good in these city edition uniforms. As cool as the rebrand is, and as cool as the color changes, the court I really like as well. The skeleton logo is just really really cool. Uh, but, yeah, they have not been very successful in those city edition uniforms. Hopefully that changes. Uh, NFL Combine's gr- raging on. I know things will wrap up on Sunday. Monday on Sports Talk we'll be talking about, you know, the guys who help their stock and hurt their stock the most uh, in the Combine workouts. And I know the really the what's crucial to the team's front offices are these one-on-one interviews you get at this time yeah. where you not just get to know about the player, obviously. It's, it's getting to know the person. Uh, behind the player, I guess you would say. No, it's like that. It's that and the medicals, as Bobby right. said, are the two most <laughs> yeah. important things at the Combine, more so than just like the numbers that they get. Because, I mean, if you're drafting players, you see the tape, you've watched them play, like you're not just picking some random guy, but at the same time you get to know these people at the Combine, you get to talk with them, you get to look over you know, any kind of issues that you may have with like medical history. I know Michael Penix Jr., I think it was just reported today, Steve, that his medicals are all good to go, despite having two former ACL injuries yeah. in college, where ACL tears, I think, as well, that he had to rehab from. I mean, granted, his experience at Washington was excellent. His two years there, he was a Heisman, you know, it's, I think he finished second in Heisman voting his, his, you know, just this past year. Um, but apparently his medicals are all good, so he's got the green light, which means that he's probably going to be a first-round pick, almost guaranteed. Now, is he going to be the fourth or fifth quarterback off the board? Anyways, I'm going a little bit on a ramble here. But yeah, uh, it's all right. Bobby's not here today. You're taking over. Interviews and <laughs> medicals are definitely super important at the combine. Uh, just seeing recently too from uh, Ian Rappaport tweeting out from the NFL Network that Georgia tight end Brock Bowers will not be working out with the combine. That's a little bit of a surprise it's for the me. Same thing as like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors and Caleb Williams. Everybody just like, saves all it these for guys pro day are just now. like yeah. I mean, you see my tape. You see my numbers. You know what you're getting. Right. Exactly. Uh, it's, it makes you wonder. Uh, you know, some teams. I feel like have really devalued what the combine is now. And it seems to be like you were just saying more about medicals and just the player interviews. Yeah. The interviews are super important. Once again, like you get to meet the player face to face, ask your questions. Um, and if you're spending a first round draft pick on some of these top prospects, it's, I mean, I can't emphasize how important that really is. You, you want to know who you're getting if you're spending that premium of a pick. Cajuns chipping away here, Charlie. Got another run in. Top top of the ninth, seven to four with one out. Base is juiced. Don't give me hope, Steve. I'm going to be tuned in as soon as we get off, but don't give me hope. But, yeah, we got another uh, text in from our Oakland Heart Jewelers talking text line. Uh, This is 95-58. Charlie, sharpshooter Matt Ryan did not play at all last game against Indiana. That was a little disappointing, wasn't it, Steve? Like, when he's gotten minutes, he's lit it up. Like He's been better more often than he's been bad. Granted, he's not a great defensive player, but you you know what you're getting out of him. I want to see more lineups with Zion, space the floor with shooters like Matt Ryan, like Trey Murphy. Herb Jones has been outstanding from three-point range this year as well. Um, and, and just let him go to work. How are you going to defend it? And especially against a Pacers squad that can't defend, period. Once again, 26 in defensive rating. 
give Zion some space, let him go operate, and if he wants to kick out, have him a double-digit assist game. You talked about yesterday uh, uh, MVP odds around the NBA, but you know you just mentioned a guy like Herb Jones. For me, he's been the MVP of the Pelicans this season. He's been outstanding. I, it, the Pelicans have a steal with the deal that they got absolutely, him on, yeah. Which I mean, they bet on him, and he. But the thing with Herb Jones is that he's such a under the radar guy. Like he's very low key. So I don't think he really wanted you know this gigantic massive deal where the Pelicans would be overpaying for him. They invested in him. He's going to do all he can to help the Pels. And that's all you can ask from him. We got another segment coming up before the top of the hour. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with more sports talk right here on WWL. Cajuns go down. Charlie, unfortunately, could not uh, complete a comeback, ended up losing 7-4. to four. Uh, We do know now, know now that first pitch for the LSU game will be 8 p.m. You can hear that, obviously, right here on WWL in the Odyssey oh, well. app. We'll get the Tigers tomorrow. <laughs> Did I say that on LSU? <laughs> on LSU radio? That's hey, that's fun. all right. You're a raging Cajun's yeah, blood, uh, blood not, through and through. Yeah, I, I report on the Tigers, but I'm a Cajun alum. Uh, so obviously, you know, today the Tiger uh, the Cajuns didn't go with their ace. So we're obviously yeah, saving him to for they, tomorrow's matchup with against LSU. That's the issues they went to him out of the bullpen against Vandy once they got close. Oh, okay. So I, I have no idea who they're actually pitching against LSU tomorrow. Interesting. Okay, yeah, we'll figure it out. Uh, so, yeah, the uh, LSU game against uh, Texas will be starting 8 o'clock. Uh, curious to see, how, obviously, how the Tigers' bats do, but I think all attention definitely will be on the mound in the pitching change for a Friday night. Yeah, Luke Holman's been awesome so far. There's nothing else you can say. He's been 12 and a third innings pitch so far. He hasn't given up a single run. And I know you can say competition level and competition who he's playing. He's going to have a test against Texas tonight. But even, like, I mean, that's a – Interesting point, because when he was in Alabama, he was basically their ace this past season, uh, back in 2023, and I, he led them to the 16th seed. Uh, Alabama doesn't get to where they are without Luke Holman last year. Now, what he did, he was like the number two pitcher, starting pitcher in the SEC in conference in whip, which is walks, hits, per innings pitch, for anyone who doesn't know. And, I mean, his ERA was really solid last year, too. I think it was hovering around 3-6. His strikeout numbers are up this year, too, which is a good sign early on. The issue is that the guy that he's going up against – you know, LBJ, LeBaron Johnson for Texas is really, really solid. Too. LBJ, I'm like, what? That's what, when I was looking up how, because I went and looked up how to pronounce his name, and I was looking at, you know, a local report on him uh, out of the Texas area, Austin, and that's what they said. His nickname is like LBJ, LeBaron Johnson. So, but he was a second team, like all American last year. He was an all Big 12 performer. He's also off to a great start as well. He's coming off a game against Cal Poly on last Friday where he threw eight scoreless innings, struck out eight batters. So, the Tigers, like Koki said in this uh, 5 o'clock hour interview that we did with them, it's going to be all about getting him out of the game as soon as possible. Like, you want to get his pitch count up. You want to work counts. You want to foul off some good pitches uh, and maybe get some walks, get some hit-by-pitches thrown in there as well. But against a guy like him, it's going to be pretty tough. Have you gotten a chance to look over the LSU baseball schedule and kind of hone in oh on boy. some ideas yes. for our boys' trip up to the box? Well, we got to figure it out because they yeah, have – Yeah, we did a terrible job last year doing yeah, that, so it, we got to get a plan out. together now. It didn't work out. But if you're looking at <laughs> LSU's baseball schedule, it ramps up as soon as SEC play, SEC play hits. Right. Now, they start off at Mississippi State. Mississippi State hasn't been very good at all this year. I, I think they lost back-to-back games against Austin P, which is kind of funny. And then, But after that, back-to-back-to-back weekend, Steve. You ready for this? Florida. Ready? And then they go to Fayetteville for Arkansas. That's going to be a huge matchup as well. And then after that, they have Vanderbilt. Right. And then after that, they have Tennessee. That CC is a gauntlet, man. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, they get a kind of easy first weekend, 
but then you have Florida, you have Arkansas, you have Vanderbilt, you have Tennessee, all top 10 teams. It's ridiculous. We will be back Monday, obviously, recapping LSU baseball's weekend in Houston. Also talking NFL Combine, getting Mike D's more NFL draft preview. He's going to touch on the linebackers. Have a great night, everyone. Have a great weekend. Who dat?